Welcome to Inside the Castle, the podcast that goes behind castle doors to have real conversations with real people about solving the nation's toughest challenges. I'm one of your hosts today, Aaron Schneider. And I'm Angie Fryermuth. Today's guests are here to talk about the core regulatory program. With us today are Jacob Segrist and Sarah Wingert, who are regulatory program managers at Core Headquarters. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for having us. So before we get started in, in talking about core regulatory program, uh, I want to just hear a little bit about the two of you. So uh, Jacob and Sarah, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself and, and how you got to where you are within the core? Yeah, sure. So I, I've been at core headquarters for about a year and a half. Um, my subject matter areas at core headquarters include providing regulatory and technical project support to divisions and districts, as well as subject matter areas of mining and water supply. And so prior to joining headquarters, I was the appeal review officer in the Great Lakes and Ohio River division. You know, in that position, I managed the appeal program and I provided national and regional support for the regulatory program when it was needed. And then before that, I was project manager in the Huntington District Corps of Engineers. Uh, I be began my career in regulatory there. That's where I kind of cut my teeth. I worked in both the district office in Huntington, West Virginia, and a field office in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, I primarily worked on energy resource type projects to include things like mining, drilling, energy production and, and distribution, and also some solar and some wind projects. So that's a snapshot of, of my career with, with Core Regulatory. All right, that's great, Jacob. Uh, my name's Sarah Wingert. Uh, I'm also a headquarters program manager in the regulatory program. And in addition to that, I'm our national liaison to the Federal Highway Administration. So I've been at headquarters for a little over five years now. Uh, my main focus is looking at policy related to the core permitting process for transportation and other types of infrastructure projects. Um, it kind of naturally follows being our liaison to the Federal Highway Administration. Um, in addition to that, I'm also our liaison to the Southwestern Division and the, and the Pacific Ocean Division when it comes to regulatory policy issues that come up to core headquarters level. And like Jacob, I also started in a district. So I'm originally from the St. Paul district where I worked as a project manager. I was in a couple of different offices, started out in the Green Bay field office in Wisconsin, then moved over to the Twin Cities, St. Paul, Minnesota. Um, and where I was responsible for reviewing different types of permit applications for really a, a really wide variety of projects, basically anything that came up in the geographic area I was assigned to. Uh, so things like transportation, utility projects, residential and industrial developments, uh, all kinds of dredging, wetland restorations, agricultural projects, you name it, we reviewed it. And then my last couple of years, I was our liaison to the Minnesota Department of Transportation that kind of led to my segue over to uh, headquarters where I'm now our federal highway liaison. So that's a little about me. Thank you both for joining us today. And I am excited to learn a little more about the regulatory program. The regulatory program in general is an intricate part of the core processes. And so can you talk a little bit about the mission of the regulatory program? Sure, so our regulatory uh, program mission is to protect the nation's aquatic resources while allowing for reasonable development through fair and balanced decisions. So it's kind of both parts of those, that mission statement is important, allowing the reasonable development, because we all know development's going to occur, 
looking at it through a fair and balanced lens and also issuing timely permit decisions. So that's our overall goal, short and sweet. I guess we're going to talk more about the types of permit decisions that we issue and our various statutory responsibilities, uh, our main being Section 10 of the Rivers and Harbors Act and Section 404 of the Clean Water Act. I don't want to steal the thunder there, but those are our main authorities. Thanks, Sarah. So, so you guys have a pretty difficult job, I take it, where you've got to balance, you know, the environment and development. And sometimes it seems like those things may be a little bit contrary. So I would assume that your role at the district maybe was a, full of a little bit more controversy and challenges and per, perhaps the role at headquarters. But could you differentiate a little bit between your experience of what you saw in a district versus what you see in headquarters? Yeah, sure. I, I think the important thing to remember, our regulations are empowering the district to make these actions uh, on behalf of the core regulatory program. And so the, the project managers at the district, the regulatory program there is not an opponent or a proponent of any of these actions. We're trying to be that neutral party to evaluate the project in compliance with the laws, the regulations, and the guidance that we have. At headquarters, you know, we're, we're focused more so on the, the national level, the regional level, uh, impacts to the program to include things like budget, uh, include things like working with, um, you know, congressional members when they may have a question uh, as they develop rulemaking or, or, or laws and guidance and things like that. So I always find it interesting that we have a regulatory program and then there's other regulatory efforts going on at state and other federal agencies. And additionally, we are the Army, um, and it just seems like that's an odd function to have within the Army. So can you tell us a little more about why the Corps has a regulatory program? Yeah, it is a pretty common question from the public, but also from other Corps business lines. And it really goes back to the Constitution, which provides the federal government with the power to regulate foreign and interstate commerce. And, and from the earliest moments in our country's history, which is still true today, Waterways and navigation were recognized as vital components of commerce. And the federal government in its early days was funding and carrying out a lot of this work. And they had an in-house body of engineers to do the work. And so the Corps of Engineers was instrumental in working in these navigable waters from the very beginning. There's actually a lot of interesting stories about the Corps of Engineers and prior to like the environmental regulations we have today. So the Corps of Engineers or the federal government is funding uh, improvements to navigation. They're surveying and mapping navigation. They're, they're building breakwaters and coastal defenses. But also while all that's occurring, private industry is building piers and building docks. That's conflict happens between the two. So, you know, in the mid 1800s in New York City, it was exploding in commerce and trade. And all these private enterprises were building their piers and their docks, but it was interfering with the free flow of navigation and the free flow of commerce. So Congress recognized the need to have regulation, uh, to, to regulate these structures and works that are occurring in these navigable waters. And that led them to uh, pass the Rivers and Harbors Act of 1899, which is where we get our primary authority from. And so I guess, you know, when Congress was drafting this, this law, they gave the regulatory power to the Corps of Engineers since we had been working in those Apple waters uh, along with, you know, the federal government. 
makes a lot of sense that going back, the army was involved in these waterworks, um, and then that they need regulated. So it makes sense that the army would be the ones that that did it, did it moving forward. And you know, going back into the 1800s, obviously, and you know, with the start in 1899, um, I'm sure a lot has changed since then. So Sarah, would you mind telling us what's changed since the the late 1800s, uh, getting us to today? Sure, Aaron. So um, obviously, a lot's happened since 1899. And as Jacob had outlined, the Army was given the authority to regulate work and structures and navigable waters under Section 10 of the Rivers and Harbors Act of 1899. So at that point, you know, the goal of Section 10 overall is to avoid obstructions to navigation and protect the navigable capacity of the nation's waters. So the Corps' initial permit decision making focused mostly on navigation concerns, if there's a navigation concern or not. Um, and that would, you know, let us know if we were going to issue a given permit. Over time, uh, there was a growing national awareness and concern that uh, there are some problems uh, with the environmental protection of our nation's resources and the potential impacts of those environmental concerns on our overall human environment. The Corps' regulatory program began to expand our focus to include other types of potential impacts of a given project in the navigable water um, on the overall general public interest. So including other things besides navigation, things like fish and wildlife considerations, conservation concerns, aesthetic concerns, water quality, and things like that. Uh, in 1948, the first major U.S. law to address water pollution was the Federal Water Pollution Control Act. And then in the late mid to late 60s, there were several events uh, that came to the forefront, um, highlighting environmental concerns and issues uh, with pollution and that sort of thing. One of the most notable was in 1969 in Ohio, where for the 13th time, the Cuyahoga River actually caught on fire. And apparently the oil pollution in the river was so heavy that sparks from a crossing train ignited the surface of the river. And at times uh, reports state that the flames reached up to five stories high, which is uh, pretty extraordinary to think about, but that's what was going on at that time. So as a result of those kinds of issues in the late 60s and early 70s, Congress came through and passed a host of legislation that was aimed at protecting the natural and human environment. Um, and I think, you know, we're all aware of a lot of these things. To list some of the important or the major ones and the ones that we interact with on a daily basis in the regulatory program, uh, we have the National Historic Preservation Act, 1966, the uh, NEPA or the National Environmental Policy Act in 1970, um, the Coastal Zone Management Act, 1972, Amendments to the Federal Water Pollution Control Act in 1972, which um, we also know as the Clean Water Act, and that's where one of our other primary regulatory authorities comes from, and the Endangered Species Act in 1973. So there was a lot going on um, over time, and there was just a growing awareness, and that's resulted in some additional authorities coming our way to the, the use based regulatory program. As we we're talking here, we've talked a lot about regulating, and so what exactly does the Corps regulate? Yeah, so like Sarah said, we, we do regulate under Section 10 of the Rivers and Harbors Act structures and work that are occurring in navigable waters. But also, Sarah identified that the Clean Water Act gives us additional regulatory responsibilities, which we administer on a daily basis. And so the Clean Water Act uh, establishes the basic structure for regulating the discharges of pollutants into waters of the United States and regulating water quality standards for surface waters. 
you know, the ultimate goal of the act is to restore and maintain the chemical, physical, and biological integrity of waters of the United States. And the act is pretty expansive, but the Corps' authority under the Clean Water Act focuses on Section 404, which is the authority to regulate the discharges of dredged and fill material into waters of the United States. Going back to one of the questions, you know, why, why does the Army have regulatory authority? Well, it made sense for Section 10 because we were in the navigable waters and Congress was familiar with us. I think the simplest explanation there too is as Congress was creating these new laws and the regulations to go along with them, you know, the regulatory program was familiar to Congress and we had a regulatory program under Section 10. You know, we just folded that into our regulatory portfolio for Section 404 of the Clean Water Act. Yep, and I can talk a little more about what we specifically regulate under Section 10 of the Rivers and Harbors Act. As I mentioned, it's focusing on regulation of obstructions and alterations to our navigable waters. Uh, what we're primarily looking at are activities that involve structures or work that's located in, over, under, or would otherwise potentially affect the navigable capacity of the uh, navigable water body. So it's a bit of a mouthful. That's what we regulate under Section 10 there. Um, examples of structures that we could be looking at for Section 10 permits in navigable waters include things like piers and docks, uh, marinas, breakwaters, wharves, jetties, and utility projects. And so, um, as I mentioned, this could be in, over, or under, so that could even include utility, utilities that are built underneath the water body. One common uh, question that we get is what about bridges? So that's a, a pretty common structure I think, you know, any person might think of that could potentially obstruct navigation. So bridges are actually regulated under Section 9 of the Rivers and Harbors Act. And the authority for uh, the regulation of bridges was given to the U.S. Coast Guard. But we do often work with the Coast Guard on the review of bridge projects over navigable waters. Um, not because we regulate them under Section 10 of the Rivers and Harbors Act, but sometimes they do require a permit under Section 404 of the Clean Water Act. So well, we will frequently coordinate with the Coast Guard on the review of bridges over navigable water bodies. So that was structures. I also mentioned we regulate work under Section 10 in navigable waterways. And so, you know, that seems pretty broad. What's work? Uh, well, we actually do define work in our regulations. It's basically any activity that could alter or modify the navigable water body including things such as dredging, the disposal of dredge material, um, excavation, and filling work. So that's section 10. Um, and then we also have section 404. Jacob, would you like to chat a little more about 404, and what specifically we regulate? Yeah, section 404 of the Clean Water Act, like I said, it's the discharge of dredged or fill material into waters of the United States. And so that may take all different types of forms. You know, usually when I'm explaining this to a member of the public, they said, do I need a permit for this? Well, the first thing to consider is, do you have a water in the United States on your property? And if you do, is that activity regulated? And so if you're a developer and you're looking at building a residential or commercial development, you're going to have to grade that site. And in grading that site, you might be impacting wetlands. By impacting wetlands, you're adding fill material to those wetlands to create dry land in order to build your parking lot or build your road or put your utilities in there. So the Corps of Engineers is regulating the discharge of dredge or fill material into that wetland for the purpose of you know, developing your residential or commercial development. But the Clean Water Act is pretty expansive. There's a lot of things that fall into the discharge of dredge or fill material. So that could include if you have a stream on your property and you need to put some stream bank stabilization to keep 
the uh, stream bank from eroding if it's potentially eroding, you know, close to some homes or potentially eroding a highway away or something like that. By placing that material, the, the, the stone, the riprap in waters of the United States, that's a regulated activity or a discharge of fill material that needs to be evaluated by the Corps of Engineers and, and go through our permit process for that. Thanks. And I, I know there, there's definitely been some challenges around, um, you know, waters of the U.S. and how we define what's regulated. And I think we've seen that in the courts and there's always seems to be more challenges there. So that, that must be difficult for you guys. But one question, Sarah, I really wanted to ask you is you were talking and you talked about Section 10 and docks. And I was wondering, like, so if I live on a lake, which I don't, unfortunately, but if I did and I had a dock and I wanted to put that dock in, does that mean I need a permit from the Corps of Engineers to put in my dock? because people vote on that, does that make it navigable? Like, how do you know what's regulated or not as a citizen? Well, so first off, it's kind of what Jacob was saying. First, we have to see, is there navigable water of the U.S. Um, on the property? Uh, and, and generally, it's, it's a little easier to understand what's a navigable water of the U.S. Basically, it's any water subject to the, the ebb and flow of the tide, and then any waters associated with the transport of interstate or foreign commerce, um, that could include waters that are currently experiencing commerce or those that might be susceptible in the future. So it can get a little uh, questionable there, but generally most districts have a list of waters that are uh, considered navigable waters um, under Section 10. So that's helpful. Then it's a question of are you, you going to be uh, installing a structure or doing some work in that navigable waterway? And if so, it generally requires a permit under Section 10. There's no um, exemptions under Section 10 for work and structures. And I believe in our second podcast, we're going to talk in a bit more detail about um, the types of permits that the core regulatory program can issue. It just varies based off the proposed impacts of a given project. But there is a little bit of an interesting nuance because Sarah was referring to Section 10 navigable waters, but we also have waters of the U.S. under Section 404. And so generally speaking, waters of the U.S. include all those traditionally, traditionally navigable waters covered under Section 10, which are the big lakes, the Ohio River, the Mississippi River, the tidal waters and things like that. But the Section 404 also covers the tributaries and the surrounding waters and wetlands that are important in maintaining the biological, chemical, and physical integrity of those navigable waters. And so as a landowner, if you have a lake or a stream or a, a wetland on your property, you might be wondering, is that a water of the U.S.? Is that something that I need to to talk to the Army Corps of Engineers about. And luckily for you, the public can request the Corps to make that determination. The regulatory program completes thousands of these every year. We call them jurisdictional determinations. And it's just really the Corps' response. It's the Corps' determination of if a particular water body is considered a water of the U.S. Now, the regulatory definition of waters of the U.S. is perhaps one of the more dynamic parts of our program, and it's been influenced many times over the years by changes and advances in science, regulation, and case law, as well as some, you know, executive action and rulemaking. So you, you talked about uh, Section 10 not having any exemptions. So is there anything ex exempted from permitting requirements? Yes. So Section 404 does have certain activities that are specifically exempt from 404 permitting requirements. Uh, and these activities are outlined in Section 404 of the Clean Water Act and also within our regulations. So these include things like established normal farming, silviculture and ranching activities, uh, maintenance of currently serviceable structures, construction or maintenance of irrigation ditches and maintenance of drainage ditches, the construction and maintenance of farmer stock ponds, 
and the construction and maintenance of farm or forest roads in accordance with some very specific best practices that are identified uh, within our regulations. So there are, you know, these hosts of exemptions that are out there. And if your project is one of those activities and you're going to have a discharge, um, you, you could be considered exempt. Uh, that being said, uh, the exemptions also do include a recapture clause that specifies that if an activity represents a new use of the water body, and it would also result in a reduction in reach or an impairment of flow or circulation of the regulated waters, then that activity is not exempt. In, in those cases, the activity could be recaptured and require a permit. It can be a, a little bit complicated, I guess, uh, back to what Jacob was saying, luckily, um, that's what we're here for. If a landowner does have a question about whether or not their activity is exempt, core districts will uh, review the proposed activity and, and let that landowner know if the activity is indeed exempt or uh, would require a core permit. Um, landowners can make those exemption determinations on their own, but we're always here to help out with those. Thanks, and it, this is definitely a complicated topic and a big issue, and that's probably why with this podcast series, we're actually going to do three podcasts uh, focused entirely on regulatory. Uh, the next one, we're going to be talking about permit processes and types, uh, and then we'll get into a general overview of the program with statistics and status and, and see where things are headed. But really, uh, Jacob and Sarah, I just want to see, is there anything else that the, the two of you want to add before we conclude today? I really appreciate the opportunity to join you all. It was a lot of fun. I, I hope we were able to describe parts of the regulatory program. It, it, it can be a complicated mystery to, to, to the public, uh, but just kind of as a final thought, you know, like Sarah said, we have 38 districts across the nation, and we have a very flat organization. And so all those districts have a regulatory program with project managers, with, you know, expertise in the field, so if there's ever any questions from a landowner, uh, you know, I would certainly encourage them to reach out to the district office and, and talk through any proposal they may have. All right. Well, thank you, Jacob and Sarah, for joining us today for this edition of Inside the Castle. We appreciate you and your insights. To our listeners, we want to hear from you. What topics are important to you and people you're interested in hearing from? Until next time, be safe, be innovative, and be revolutionary. Thanks for joining us for this Inside the Castle podcast. To provide your feedback, email us at cw.infrastructure.team at usace.army.mil. Stay tuned for additional Inside the Castle podcasts as we explore life inside the core and revolutionize civil works together.